Welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Brazil. This is a show where I get to talk about sports. I get to talk about business. I get to talk about everything in between. And today, very special guest. Many of you have heard his voice if you've watched pretty much anything over the last 10, 15, 20 years, it feels like. I have Adam Amin, Fox Sports play-by-play announcer. Just did the Giants game yesterday. My Giants finally get the win. So I'm going to ask you to do some more games, Adam. I do appreciate it. But how are you doing today, bud? Everything's good, man. I appreciate talking to you. Pleasure is all mine. Leah Villette, incredible, incredible guest of mine yes. on the For the Love of Sports. If you haven't, she was incredible enough to put us in contact. But if you haven't, please go back and listen to her episode. She's absolutely fantastic. So very excited uh, that she introduced us. Very excited to get to chat with Adam today about his life as a play-by-play announcer, what it is like. And there we go. My Uncle Dave is already commenting in. Saying <laughs> hello, Adam. So yes, Uncle Dave, we spoke about you for a couple seconds. We have Adam Amin, formerly of the Somerset Patriots. I guess that's probably a bigger way of saying it. Adam Amin formerly of the Somerset Patriots. I think that's the proper the proper title right. for, uh, for it, yes. I think Uncle Dave would appreciate that. But um, Adam, first question I have for everybody on the For the Love of Sports podcast is, why do you love sports so much? There's something about seeing people do things that most other people either haven't tried, but more than likely aren't capable of. And I think there's something to that. There's something to just appreciating what human beings can do physically. And beyond that, I mean, that's one element to it, obviously. It's just like you're impressed. I'm mm-hmm. impressed by people who can dunk or make 30-foot three-pointers or hit 400-foot home runs or throw 60-yard touchdowns. I'm impressed by those things because I can't do those things. So naturally, we have a tendency as humans to be impressed by those things. Another part of it is, I think, what is inherent to everybody is some level of competition. I don't know if it's, you know, like survival was a competition. Like that's inherent in human beings, I think. So that's kind of embedded in all of us. So having competition in a structure that's recognizable and easily accessible and easily appreciated, I think that enhances why we love sports. So that's like the physiological aspects of it. And then there's like regionality and, you know, you grew up rooting for this team. That's your tribe. You know, this is what you compete in because we're not trying to kill each other, which is good. So yeah. Or, or, so, hunt, uh, you know, or I mean, well, sort of, yeah. yeah I'd sort. like to think the general population. We're, yeah, well, have we're, you've we're been cool. to Philadelphia, right? Yeah, I have. Okay, I, I've, then, I've escaped. I've escaped. Philadelphia I'll, I'll just leave it times. at that. Yeah. That was, that was the one uh, Philadelphia bad mouth thing you're allowed to have. I think in this, cause I got to stay neutral. Like oh. I, have, I have to stay neutral you, as a as a national commentator. Okay, so. I get that. I get that. Sorry. But I, I do understand New Jersey is my like second adopted home. So, um, but yeah, I think those are the elements of it. I think that's what sticks out to us. We just appreciate people who can do incredible things, and see who can do it better. And I think that's just kind of the inherent nature of why we all like competition and, and athletic uh, prowess. So you combine them into these structures that we know as sports. I think all those things appeal to me to some element of me or another. I love it, man. And when I guess, um, when did you make the realization that maybe, uh, maybe, maybe playing the sports wasn't <laughs> going to be quite your calling card. Yeah, that was uh, fairly quickly. I would say I figured that out. Um, I played football, basketball, baseball, probably until like through my freshman year of high school. And then I played volleyball from the time I was like 11 or 12 until, I played club ball in 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 high school and and uh, a little bit in college. So that was like my niche sport. But I didn't really I was okay at them. I was a really good baseball catcher. I couldn't hit. Uh I was a very good point guard, could not score. 
and I was a decent defensive back who could not jump. So I think I learned fairly fast (laughs) that it wasn't for me. Volleyball kind of fit my stature a little bit playing back row. So um, I learned fairly fast that it wasn't, it wasn't going to be something that that was going to push and shape most of my life in terms of like what I did, but I became a performance geek. Uh, I I was a very good violin player from the time I was seven until I was 20. Uh, I, joined theater and choir when I was a freshman in high school. Um, I was all state in those in singing and and in theater. So like, I really enjoyed performing and I love sports uh, just being raised on it. Mm -hmm. I think that that's another element to maybe why I love sports. Just, you know, you're raised on it. It's familial. Uh, Your family gets you into it and you, you know, enjoy that with, with, with people that are close to you. So I think um, being able to combine performance and still feel connected to something I was very passionate about, which is all these sports that I enjoyed playing and watching. Uh, I think that's kind of how I ended up transitioning into this particular job. But I knew pretty fast I wasn't going to be an athlete. Yeah, and I mean, I think most of us do. Most of us figure that out. Come on, that's not on you. That's on everybody at that point. But (laughs) I think it is cool that you were able to connect these two worlds that in most situations, if you hear sports and performance, we're going to immediately jump to playing the sports right you were you were able to connect the performance aspect with kind of that that um because you can still embellish right we can still get a little flamboyant about certain things when cody bellinger makes that catch in center field right you know that that uh, you know mookie Betts. i mean he seems like he's doing it every other day at this point too so those types of things when daniel jones throws that terrible terrible interception in the back of the end zone you can get energetic you can get exciting about it and and kind of put yourself on that performance stage again at what point did you make that connection though? Because that doesn't, it's not a super inherent, at least not to no. me. Like at what point are you like, Hey, wait a second. I can still do the two things I love just in a totally different way that no one is really kind of combining those two aspects of it. But I messed around with it in high school with like broadcasting. And I use that term that use that mm-hmm. word very loosely. It's just, it was more an excuse for me to commentate on like my friends yeah. doing things. So I can't remember if it was, I think it was sophomore year in high school, I was playing JV volleyball. And after our JV matches, I would go run to the varsity match and like commentate into the camera, uh, like just with the microphone that was connected to the camera that was just fixed on the match Mm -hmm. because you wanted to identify people. And I enjoyed doing that. And nobody ever saw it. I think maybe it was on public access or something like that. And I did that for some basketball and I did that for some football. Very, and I like a handful, the very, very few. But it was something I liked. I had a friend of mine that was uh, a few years older than me from my hometown that went to my high school. And he did a lot of the same things that I was into. He had been in theater. He had been in choir. He had played volleyball. Uh, he was kind of the host of all the shows and, uh, you know, like uh, any competition or whatever, home, you know, homecoming parades and things like that. Like he would host those. And that's what I ended up doing. Like I, I think my personality at the time, uh, I was – fairly shy. I didn't really have much of a sense for what kind of identity or personality I had. So I kind of discovered it through hosting some of these shows and doing some theater and kind of becoming more outgoing. And then I got to combine that with these handful of sporting events that, that I commentated on. So that's when I kind of made the connection like, Oh, this is, this is cool. Like I, I seem to, I seem to gravitate towards this. It's comedy, but it wasn't really serious. So it never really clicked in my head. Until this friend, uh, his name's Ken Lavica, he uh, had been going to Valpo, Valparaiso University in Indiana, and, and had mentioned to me, I think uh, it was right around my junior year, maybe uh, going into senior year of high school, 
He had said, hey, I know you've messed around with it. Like, if you want to do it, like, if you want to try broadcasting, I'm going to be on the staff of the radio station. I'm going to be the GM when I'm a senior. Like, come here. Like, I'll get you on air. Like, if you want to apply here. I was like, all right. So that's an option. That's cool. Good to know. Uh, you know, I applied for like business school and marketing programs. And I was like, I don't want to do any of this stuff. My parents wanted me to like try to go to med school. And I definitely yeah. wasn't qualified for that. Um, I was bad at science, good at math. Um, so I figured, all right, I like performing. That seems to make me happy. I was 18 and pissed off at my parents like every other human being on the planet yeah. is at 18 years old. Kind of so I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to listen to these, you know, these people. I'm going to do what I want to do. And I, I decided like, all right, that's now's the time. I'm going to go, I'm going to go to Valpo. I'm going to follow Ken and I'm going to see what happens. I think this might be fun. So I applied, uh, I got in and the first day I showed up was orientation. Like it didn't go on a visit, didn't go check out campus, didn't really look at classes. I was like, I, I don't know what I want to do. I was a jack of all trades, master of none. So let's give it a shot. And the first day at college, I went to WVUR, the campus radio station, and I saw Paul Oren, who I just spoke to this morning. He's still one of my closest friends. Uh, he was the advisor of the radio station at the time. And it said, Ken Levick had told me to come here. What should I do? And he walked me to the radio station. And I looked around at this decrepit couch and this, you know, kind of musty room and thought, yep, this is what I think I might want to do. I might want to be in this production room and I might, might want to be in front of that microphone and let's see how that works. And I barely ever left for, for the next four years. That is awesome, man. And it's just such a cool way of, I mean, there's so many forks in the road and that's why I love having these longer form conversations where you actually get to ask questions and understand because there are so many ways that you could have been like, ah, nah, maybe I'll just go to business school. Maybe sure. I will do marketing of some sport. Maybe you end up in sports that way, right? You know, sure. maybe there's something there, but it's just so cool that, you know, your friend, you, you hooked up with him and he said, yeah, oh, you know, I, you're kind of okay at this. You want to just yeah. check it out a little bit more. Do you want to put the next four years and, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars online? <laughs> yeah, sure. That sounds great. Yeah. And let's, let's see how this out, goes. It turned out well, man. It turned out well. Uh, you know, yeah. obviously you were at ESPN for a while. Uh, again, hard to not mention Somerset Patriots, probably the peak of your career at this point. Uh, <laughs> shout out to my uncle Dave one more Very time. Very influential, by the way, I should say yeah, though. Like oh, I, 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 I personally do met a lot of people that have come through uh, the Somerset Patriots organization. I mean, I've been going to those games since I was like seven. So <laughs> I've known a lot of it, but I think it is cool. And I'm excited to get to that part. But before we really start to get, I guess, kind of on the career path a little bit um, of, so did a little bit of research. Please correct any of the information because we know sure. the internet loves to lie. I don't know why they love to, but they love to lie or at least kind of mix the information a little bit. So of Pakistani right. descent, correct? Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. So with that, you know, personally I've been watching sports my whole life. Most of the people that I hear talking to a microphone or, or see talking to a microphone, older white dudes that have played the sport or just kind of connected to it in some way, shape or form. How are you able to kind of envision yourself doing something without really seeing too many people that looked anything like you kind of come before right like was there anyone you could look up to was there anything that you could say like hey i've done you know i've seen someone like me do this before it makes it a lot easier to get into something how difficult was that especially in the beginning to say hey like that's kind of what i want to do not gonna you know i don't know you maybe you want to use the term blazing your own trail i know there's a lot of other people in the industry as well but how was that aspect especially in the beginning trying to get into you know sports broadcasting it's not something that really hit me until I started to really get into the, the weeds of it, you know, into the weeds of the business. Mm -hmm. I never really, I, but, but that, that's kind of also to your point. I never really saw anybody mm -hmm. 
who looked like me or looked like my brothers or looked like my father or my mom doing this job on a consistent basis on a national scale or anything like that. Now, when I got to college and I started, you know, really pursuing this and into my, you know, third and fourth year at Valpo, now I'm seeing Adnan Virk on mm-hmm. ESPN. I'm seeing Anish Shroff. I'm seeing Kevin Nagandi. I'm seeing Dari Noka. I'm starting to see some faces. Ravi Bechwal was somebody in Chicago who is a news anchor for ABC, who is, if I'm, mistaken, if I'm not mistaken, I think he's Canadian and Indian. So, again, just not rare to see mm-hmm. in Chicago, let alone across the country, um, just rare to see people that look like us. And that's fine. Like, I, I didn't really think about that mm-hmm. in that context when I was 18. But as I got a little older, I, it hit, I think it really hit me when I applied for my first job. And this was after this is after I did two years of minor two summers of minor league baseball as an intern in Gary, mm-hmm. Indiana. And I was applying for my first like full time job. And it was a job in a small town in northwest Iowa in Spirit Lake, a town of about 3000 people. So a little bit of a culture shock. It's all white, pretty much mm-hmm. like 99 percent white. I come from Chicago. It's just more diverse. I was I grew up in a very diverse suburb. Like I was used to seeing people like people my age of all races and, and shapes and sizes and colors. So like, it didn't really register to me until I got to a place mm-hmm. like, like this town in Iowa that I was like, Oh, now I feel, I feel a little more different. And there were other events before that. And like that's, I, I, that's, mm-hmm. that's not really in the context of this, but so specifically just in like broadcasting, it's when I felt that. So I, get the job that I interview, I get the job. Everybody there is tremendously kind and, and very nice. And it, and it seemed like a nice place to work, uh, especially for like your first full-time gig. And it was salary and benefits. So I was like, all right, this all there sounds great. It's, yeah. it's granted the salary is like 13 grand a year, but Dang. Hey, look, we all got to start. Splint somewhere. Hairs. That's, Splint hairs it's, that's, it's, it's all good, man. So I, when I got the job, I was really excited. I drove driven 500 miles to interview. I drove 500 miles back home and they called me and said, Hey, we, we'd love to bring you aboard question for you do would would you be okay with using an on-air name i was like on-air name i mean i knew like dan patrick wasn't Mm -hmm. you know his name's daniel patrick pew dan patrick's a really solid on-air name plus that's his name like that's Mm -hmm. actually his name i was like what were you guys thinking and the response was uh we were thinking adam kelly and i was like I don't really fit like the profile of what you're seeing compared to the name or whatever. And I was just kind of, I just kind of, you know, I was, I took pause with that and I was like, let me, let me think about it. Let me talk to you later. Let me call you back. And my father who was alive at the time, he was in the room and I had asked him cause he had asked like, Oh, what was that about? I said, what would you think if I used an on air name? And he thought about it for a moment. I explained to him like what they were thinking. And he goes, why do they want you to use an on air name? And I was like, I didn't want to say the answer mm-hmm. because I didn't know if that was the answer. That's true. I had read about like Dick Enberg had been asked once to change his name because it had sounded too Jewish. And I was appalled by that. I was like, why would you it's Dick Enberg? Like, again, I'm thinking of a time even further back, you know, before, before this. And I thought, Oh, that's not, this doesn't matter to me. It's not going to affect me. And then they asked. And again, I don't, I don't know if that's what they were thinking. I don't think that that was their intent to make it seem mm-hmm. like seem like that. But I did have this under kind of underlying sense that maybe 
in a town of 3,000 people where 2,990 of them are white and they hear my last name, maybe that's going to feel a little weird for them. And not to say that they would really think that much about it or really care. And I certainly can't judge the intent or thoughts of 3,000 people, nor would I ever try. But it felt like that's what was happening. And I think that's what my father sensed. And he said, it doesn't matter that much to me, but I feel like it's going to matter a lot to you. I think you should be proud of your heritage. And I'm like, but I am proud of my, and then I like stopped the sentence and I thought, man, am I hemming and hawing on this for any reason? And I was really happy when I called them back and said, guys, I'm just not really comfortable with this. I, I would prefer to just use my name. And I was really steadfast in that. I wanted mm -hmm. me, I wanted to be <laughs> me. I want to be known as me. I, and everything that comes with that good, bad flaws, strengths, whatever I wanted to be associated with me. And they didn't hesitate. They're like, yeah, that's fine. So again, it, I don't, I can't judge people's intent. I know how it made me feel. Mm -hmm. I'll say it that way. I don't think they intended to make me feel anything other than just asking a question out of some concern that they have for other people. I don't think it should be, but that was their concern. I can't judge their intent. It made me feel a certain way. And I didn't like that feeling. And I was happy that I stuck with, no, I'd rather have, I'd rather just be Adam. I mean, I'd rather be me. And I was happy I made that decision. That's awesome, man. And thank you for that. Um, I think that is, it's important. And it's, it's important for people to understand because I can't put myself in your shoes, really, right? Especially if I don't know the story, I've never been in, in, in a situation like that um, for, for, for better or for worse. And, you know, so I right. do appreciate you kind of giving us a little backstory because I think there's a lot that, uh, what is it, overnight success takes about 15 years? Yeah, right? that's like, right. Like, Everybody who's an overnight success went through at least 10 years or something like that of, of you know, hardship or, yeah. or learning or, you know, process or all that. Yeah. And, and, you know, kind of just turning on Fox, you know, at, at one o'clock and hearing <laughs> your voice, it's like, Oh, there's Adam you know, he's doing his thing. Like, and, and you don't, you don't ever think about, well, how did he get there? Yeah. And, and I'll say this too. I, I, I mentioned that Iowa story and again, nothing ever came of it ever again. And it was all good. Now it's for me, it became a footnote that I could laugh mm -hmm. at, yeah. but in, in greater context, yeah, I know that that affected me. I was never afraid of, I, like I, so I, I've told this story a couple of times, so my apologies if you've heard it before, but my brothers named me. My brother, I have three older brothers. They all have very strong, traditional Pakistani Muslim names, uh, Ishmael, Abdullah, Mus, uh, Mus, uh, Mustafa. And my dad's Muhammad. My mom is Zubida. So uh, when they all came over to the States and reunited with my dad in 1985, uh, they'd been going to school for about a year by the time I was born. My mom wanted to name me after my dad. She wanted to name me Muhammad II or something like that. And, and my brother said, we can't do that because uh, they got ridiculed for a year. Mm -hmm. And again, they were learning English. Yeah. They, they knew some English when they came over to the States, but like they were learning. They had accents. They had different skin tones. Again, I don't, I don't know their whole experience, but just the Cliff Notes version, it was tough at times dealing with that in the 1980s you know, mid to mid to late 1980s. So they said, we, we need to name them something else. And they're the ones who actually gave me my name. So I'd always been, I'd always kind of wondered in the back of my head, like had my mom named me Muhammad, A, would the entire trajectory of my life be somewhat different because of how I was treated maybe in elementary school? Or would people like scoff at me because they couldn't pronounce my name properly? Mm -hmm. 
Adam's pretty easy to, to say. It's a pretty Americanized name. As, and it does have like historic and biblical and religious mm-hmm. connotations across a bunch of spectrums. So it's a fairly universal name. So would my life have been different if my name was Muhammad? Would I, I never worried about like getting hired at a place like ESPN. ESPN was pretty diverse by the time I got hired or was certainly on its way to becoming more and more diverse, and especially with people who look like me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was certainly comfortable uh, at ESPN if my name was Mo or Muhammad or whatever. Well, I don't think it would have mattered. I did. Th- I always do think about that first job in Iowa. Mm-hmm. Like, would that have been affected if I did have a different name, or would I have taken an on-air name? Would I've gone by Mike or something easier, you know, to for for average American people to deal with? I don't even know if that's a that's a term that makes sense there. But I I, I have thought about those things a lot, but. I didn't get into the business, and, I, and especially when I got to ESPN, I wasn't thinking about being the first South Asian or being the first Pakistani guy or anything, anything like that at all. And it was because all, I was just petrified of messing up. Mm-hmm. I was just, I was just scared of being exposed for not being good enough to do this job. So I just wanted to stay as quiet as possible, keep my head down, do the work, learn on the fly, learn on the job, make my mistakes in, in lower profile moments so that I could be prepared for the future. And then as I got to build a profile and got to build some, some establishment and uh, earn a reputation uh, or, or at least en route to earning a reputation, I, I started to feel it a little bit more. Um, I started to feel the, the kind of, not burden, it's not a burden at all, it's mm-hmm. just, but it's a weight. It's just, it's there where you recognize, oh, people do recognize you for something very specific that they feel connected to. And more often than not, it's fandom. You're a Giants fan. I called the Giants win yesterday. You and I, like you'll associate me at least for the time being with, oh yeah, that's the guy that called the Giants win. Uh, if I call a Tennessee football loss, Tennessee fans are going to hate me for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. It's fine. It, it, it's part of the territory. But for people to connect my background or my name or what I look like or what my parent, you know, who my parents are, brothers are something like that for them to go, Oh, that looks like me, or that's like me, or that feels like me, or I can relate to that. I really started to feel that really in the last three or four years. And it wasn't until the last three or four years where I really started to feel that. And then I got messages and I'd get mm-hmm. DMS like, you know, you're doing this for us, you know, with a Pakistani flag emoji and not just, that's not just for me. Mm-hmm. That's for Anish and Adnan mm-hmm. and Nabil Kareem and, uh, Zubin Mahenti and Kevin and Dari and, and countless others now who are feeling like they have futures in this. Uh, it's, it, it did get to that point finally. And I, I didn't know it would. And then it finally hit me that, Oh, this is, this is something like I, I'm aware I'm the first South Asian NFL announcer on network television. I'm aware of that. I, at least I think that's the case. Yeah. And if that's wrong, I hope somebody tells me. And that's why I don't talk about it because I don't know. I don't know what that means to another person. If it means something to another person, great. I will happily try to set an example just by being good at the job and trying to be a, try, trying to be a good person and trying to be a good teammate and trying to be good at what I do. And I'm happy that you can associate something that's connected to you to me. That's great. If that's not what you see, that's fine too. I've tried to keep that in mind doing the job because the job doesn't care. Mm-hmm. The job is supposed to be, other than when you're on camera, especially for me as a play-by-play announcer, you're kind of nameless and faceless. At least that's the, the idea. 
uh, just I want to call the game, not bother anybody, be accurate, factual, palatable, somewhat entertaining, and nail the big moments and get out of the way. But if it means somebody can associate my face or my background and say, oh, I can do that too, that actually does mean something to me. And I didn't think about that until a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as you said, it, it means things to other people and the opportunity to see someone. And, and because and that's that's kind of where, you know, the, the impetus for that question came from, because it's a lot easier to see yourself in somebody's shoes that at least look a little bit more like you. Right. And so, again, you kind of growing up, never having that and still being able to pursue this dream and pursue this passion of yours and the performance and the, the tie into sports, I think, is really important. And, and you were thankfully able to do that as you said if your name was different do you want to say mike amin has a pretty it's not bad (laughs) sounds good i'm 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 glad and that's another reason i'm glad i kept my name i like my name i really like my name i love my name it's 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 symmetrical it's uh uh alliterative i Mm -hmm. i really like my name it's fun to say and i'm more proud of it now than than ever and i hope that only continues yes and keep it that way because it's very easy to remember too adam i mean i love it dude but no thank you again for coming on i know i told you about a half an hour and and we spent a lot of that you know i have a couple more questions all good no if you you have a little bit extra time absolutely all right well just throw a hand up and you know i'll I'll end it whenever (laughs) we need to but so so you know again you know having that name would it have been different kind of sounds like it would have been a little bit um you know shout out to your brother shout out to your family for for understanding that because i think that is really important especially them having that experience and going through what they went through and understanding hey and now obviously it's a little different now in 2020 um how much more different i i'm not really here to say but i'm assuming it's a little bit different than it was in the 80s and now again kind of where we are but I, i think it's really important and you know again thank you for sharing all of that you know i didn't know any of it um did a little bit of research before we got here did not really know much of um much of what you've been through. So, you know, really do appreciate you bringing that up. And I guess, uh, I guess we'll switch now to more of the, the, the career aspects of it. And, you know, as you're saying, you know, going to small towns in Iowa, Gary, Indiana, for all of our Parks and Recs fans out there. Yep. Like, <laughs> what, um, one thing that we find in the play by play route in the sports broadcasting, sports casting route is you have a million jobs in a really short <laughs> period of time. You're moving all over the country yep. and it's very difficult. And I think that's almost a way, you know, not purposefully, but to weed out the people that are not able or not really as in love with the profession. I mean, I I couldn't write them down because it felt like there were so many, but you had like, it feels like a million jobs between college <laughs> and the Patriots. What was that time of your life like? And did, you, did it ever feel like it was never going to end? Just constantly just trying to, all right, now I'm in double A ball. Sweet. Yeah, $13,000 check. Well, here's 14 grand. Let's go. Like, what was that part of your career like? Because now, again, everybody sees you on Fox. And it's like, oh, yeah, he was on ESPN. Like, of course he's here now. But again, they don't remember everything you had to go through. <laughs> yeah, and, and, I, and I certainly... Um didn't have as much uh as much resistance on my path that a lot of other people do who are who are who are very talented and and probably deserving of a break of an opportunity of of just somebody to take notice and that's a lot of what it was for me um now i i also especially when you're younger you have a tendency and i i understand it like this is how i i'm i, I it should be I was very cautious about how I perceived my own path because I, you have to understand that like, there's a lot that's out of your control. 
but there are a lot of ways, and I didn't really understand this until a few years, you know, a few years after I'd gotten to ESPN. Like you have, you have a lot of you know impact in how these situations kind of formulate themselves. You reaching out to more people is going to build a network. Now, again, it's like telemarketing sometimes. Like you may only you may call a hundred people to sell whatever product you're selling. You may only get one person to to buy it, and you may only get ten people to even pick up the phone. So you have to be willing to look at every possible avenue to whether it's to find a job, to find somebody uh, that can connect you with someone to, to have somebody listen to you and, and tell you what you're good at, what you suck at. Like these are all things that I do now that I look back on it. Now I go, I did call a lot of people. I did email a lot of people. I did ask for advice and critiques and I didn't ask for jobs. I asked people to tell me how to be better at what I wanted to do that knew how to be better at what I wanted to do. So that's I, I, I cautious about how I perceive these things because five years ago, it was, nope, a lot of this is out of my control. You just put your head down and grind, and mm-hmm. that is true. But part of that is being willing to be critiqued and criticized. I'm watching – I had a very emotional day yesterday kind of just professionally. You know, I got to call Giants in Washington on – Fox, you know, calling an NFL game in front of millions of people on television. And then I'm on the flight home and I'm thinking, now I'm going to go home and I'm going to watch one of my closest friends call a game seven to send a team to the World Series. Joe Davis is one of my closest friends. And I got really emotional thinking about that. And I was really happy for him because he was spectacular on the call and was, I mean, as good as I expected him to be, of course, because he's fantastic at what he does. But I, it was an emotional time thinking about that because he's a big reason Wayne Randazzo another guy that I'm really close with that's so good at what he does as I was going to say you know him well as a Mets fan of course so uh you know Wayne Joe and I accelerated each other's growth really fast because we were very critical of each other very critical of each other and in a constructive way obviously but we're 21 22 23 24 years old and drilling each other about our tapes and saying, you got to do this better. I think you can do this better. I've heard you do this better. Uh, this I love. Keep that. That I loved how you said this. I lo- you know. And we poured over all of our work and all of our tapes and our resumes and how we cut things and how we presented it and how, what, were, what were we going to wear if we went to a meeting and like, hey, I met an agent. Like, I heard it's 10%. Like, what's like, you know, you're like learning these things on the fly and you have nobody to relate these to unless you reach out and find people outside your own circles. So, you know, that was a big thing for me to get the boost. You know, my two years between finishing college, I say finishing because I didn't get my degree until 2014. I went back and finished my degree. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that one real quick. So I, I, finished school, I was about 10 regular credit, like general credit shy. Mm-hmm. I was a lazy idiot my freshman year. Yeah. So at least, right. at, least when, at least when it came to like classes, uh-huh. like yeah, radio yeah, station, yeah. I was there. But like my, I was done with my comm degree, but I had like 10 general education credits. I was like, all right, I'll do those during the summer, finish up, start applying for jobs. They, Gary Indiana offered me an internship for my second year coming back. I was like, yeah, I'm just going to go take the internship and call minor league baseball instead. So uh-huh. I opted to do that. Um, but between that time going to Iowa, eventually going to Somerset for two summers. And the in-between of those two summers where I freelanced a ton and drove myself across the country in my beat-up Dodge Neon uh, and eventually Nissan Versa because the Dodge Neon Ooh. died on the highway uh, on the way to a, 
to the ballpark. Love it. Uh, the day I met Ian Eagle, in fact, that was Whoa. the day my car broke down. So that's an uh, interesting day, connection. That's the day. But like in between that, that you know, that whole time was spent. Any freelance gig I could get in the off season, going back to Valpo and doing their studio uh, segments for their basketball and football games for a hundred bucks a game, and I was driving you know seventy five miles to get there and seventy five miles back. Uh, you know, driving to Kentucky to do games, flying to salem virginia to do softball or springfield mass to do d2 basketball or whatever somebody got altamont springs florida to do division two tennis you had an event for me i'll take it i got bills to pay i got student loans to pay i got a credit card i got a car now i need money and i need to learn to get better and everything that i could get my hands on in terms of an opportunity i took everybody i could talk to to, to tell me what i was good or bad at i took uh, the day that car broke down, that, that beloved Dodge Neon, Sarah, uh, was her was her name, uh, when she she broke down on uh, 287, uh, when I got to the ballpark that day, that was the day I met Ian Eagle. And Ian and Bruce Beck, who you know, obviously, in, in New York, is you know, two phenomenally talented people, but two unbelievably kind human beings who do a ton for kids. They had had this sportscasting camp for a long time, and I was asked to speak at it. So... You know, they brought their kids to the ballpark, and that was part of the whole camp that week. And for whatever reason, either I made an impression on Ian or Ian saw something in me, or maybe it was a combination of the two. But he reached out and said, I think you got a future in this. Please don't hesitate to contact me. Send me a tape. I sent him a tape. He ripped it apart and said, good, good, bad. You can get better. Great. You got, you're doing things the right way come shadow me in October when the season's over. So I drove up to Green Bay, Wisconsin, you know, to Lambeau Field, place I'd never been, you know, this hallowed ground in, in, in National Football League history. And I'm watching him and Dan Fouts call Miami and Green Bay, a game that goes to overtime. And I think it was Dan Carpenter hit a game-winning field goal. And I sat in the booth all pregame and all through the first quarter and the entire fourth quarter. I sat in the production truck in the second and third quarters and just watched them do an NFL game and said, yeah, this is what I want. I want it like this, this is what I want to do. And it took a lot of time to get there, obviously, but the, to see it in action and to feel it and to go, yes, this feels like something that is important to me. It only increased my tunnel vision. And I really devoted all my time to trying to get better and to, you know, network and, and all of this stuff. And Ian was the one who reached out to his agent and said, you should probably take a look at this guy, unbeknownst to me. Mm-hmm. And one day I, I happened to reach out to the agent and he said, yep, Ian won't shut up about you. Do you have a tape that you can send us? And I sent them the worst possible resume tape in the history of resume tapes. And uh, he's, uh, the, the, the people there were like, yeah, we, we see what he's talking about. We'd love to talk to you. A few months later, I signed with them. Uh, I signed with an agent who is still my agent to this day. And uh, it was the best decision I made and maybe the better decision was to stay with the same person because it's Mm -hmm. been a great relationship professionally and personally and and that's kind of the inside baseball of how all that kind of came to fruition that is awesome man I and Eagle shout out I and Eagle I also know David Cerrote as well I've had him on on the show as well so the sports broadcasting yes yeah he has told me that you were a part of it as well which I think that's right just super cool man so no I think it's just really it is awesome to hear that and as you said right like you're not going to get connected to I and Eagle if you don't drive all across the country and fly everywhere that you need to and and do whatever sport possible because the more connections that you were able to make, I don't believe in luck personally. I believe in creating it. 
Like you yeah. can, you're probably going to get more lucky going to all of these events and meeting new yeah. people and talking to new people. And it, it might out. not be, it, maybe it's not luck. Maybe it's probability. Maybe yeah. it's increasing exactly. the odds. You're trying to, you're trying to, you know, get the odds in your favor. You know, the house often, uh, you know, they say the house always wins, but that's eventually mm -hmm. not every timeline. Every timeline leads to the house winning yeah. at some point, but you can flip the odds in your favor in some way, shape or form. Now, I don't know if in card counting, it obviously might be frowned upon there, but that's what I was doing. I was trying to count cards. I was trying to say, what are the moves I need to make mm -hmm. to not, again, not get a job, not get to ESPN, not that. I, I was never thinking about that because I didn't think that was a real thing. I didn't think that was possible to be there, I, at least looking at me. Mm -hmm. And like, I was like, I'm not really there yet. I, I, I always kind of undermine my abilities. Uh, and, I, and again, that's a probably not a good thing to do. But for me, it, early in my career, it, it helped me. It motivated me to, to, to keep working hard at it. And I tried to flip the odds in my favor by sheer volume. All right, the more games I do, A, the better I'll get. B, better chance of somebody maybe seeing it. Or C, better, just more resume tape to be able to choose from and say, all right, where's... When you have, when you can get, to, when you get to pick your best stuff from a large, you know, account, it's a little easier, you know, to to find stuff that you feel can can represent you at your best, especially when you're not consistent at that age. I wasn't consistent at that age, and and I'm trying to learn to be more consistent as a broadcaster to have a certain level of baseline quality. And I didn't have that then, but I could pick and choose from like, all right, I was really good for this stretch on this sport on that day. I can use that. I know at my best, I can sound like that, and that's what I wanted to show on on tape and. And obviously now on, on TV, I want to show my best every single time. And that's the goal. So I figured by sheer volume, maybe I can flip the odds in my favor. Well, I think you're doing an awesome job. If it literally means anything in the world, we appreciate the hell out of what you are doing, Adam. <laughs> and I think it is, it's, it's the best way to do it, right? If you have that much more potential content, there's going to be more diamonds in the rough. That's just how it works. Sure. And obviously you then became as good as, as those diamonds in the rough. It just took a little while. That's just kind of how this thing works, right? You know, I think that part is pretty important. I'm a rep guy. Like I needed to yeah. do it a lot. I'm, I'm just, I'm built like that in, in anything, not just broadcasting in anything. Like the reason I was really good at playing the guitar or the violin or singing or acting is because I did it a lot because I didn't know how to do it. So I had to do it a lot. The reason I got better at broadcasting is because I didn't know how to do it. And I finally figured out a structure to work yeah. and said, all right, let me just get good at this and keep doing it over and over and over again. Whereas I look at somebody like Joe and I, and this is not, true of him mm -hmm. he is as hard of a worker again we poured over our stuff and he works hard as hard if not harder than anybody i know but in my view i just felt like he was so naturally talented mm -hmm. at this and that's what makes him so scarily good now is that he is exceptionally talented by nature and he works really really hard at it so for me i didn't feel like again i don't know if it's true but i didn't feel like i had that same level of natural talent so I felt like if I don't do this, I, I have to Gladwell this. If I don't do this for mm -hmm. 10,000 hours, 10, I'm hours. never going to have any mastery of this. I have to do this over and over so that I finally learn how to feel comfortable. I'm around 10,000 hours now. Like now that I think back on it, I'm probably about maybe 1,000, 1,200 broadcasts maybe into this thing just collectively. Not all at an exceptionally mm -hmm. high level, obviously. But it's about that number. So let's call it two to three hours per. I'm starting to get closer and mm -hmm. closer uh, to to that point. You know, I'm, I'm starting to get closer and closer to 
to that level of of mastery. But like, and I'm I'm saying close. I'm saying closer. I, I meant mm -hmm. to say closer. Yeah. But it's still a long way to go before you get to ten thousand hours. It's like that's another. 15, 20 years of this, you know, and that's why the, the people who do this in their 50s and 60s hang on as long as they do, because they have a certain mastery of this because they've done it for 10,000 hours. Mm -hmm. And they're good at it. We got the Al Michaels of the world, the Joe Bucks yep. of the world, the Jack Bucks of the world. Obviously, they've been doing their thing. Marv Albert, Mike yep. Breen, right? You know, the list can go on, obviously. Absolutely. It is just so cool. And now pretty soon we're going to add you to that list of uh, old gentlemen that have been doing this thing for a really long time. And I'm excited about it. But I, I do want to, I mean, so you're, it's, it's really funny if you look at your Wikipedia page, it lists, as I said, just all those crazy things that you did. And then there's three places. It's Somerset Patriots, it's ESPN, and it's Fox Sports. So again, shout out to the Somerset Patriots. I am no joke, less than 15 minutes from their stadium, Love Team that. Bank Ballpark. I go to, I park in their parking lot. Sorry, Uncle Dave. I park in their parking lot every time I need to take that train. So hopefully I don't get a ticket anytime soon to go into the city but <laughs> i have talked to multiple people that have gone through the somerset patriots as play-by-play -play people as you know that have just worked there what is it about the somerset patriots that is just this funnel to bigger and better things like i tell me is it my uncle yeah. uncle dave the america I, it's, all like, dave. It's, all it's all dave it's all dave it's all his aggie aggie understanding and his texas a&m education uh a bunch of Rutgers people i'm sure that has a lot to do Are with it rah, too. Rah, let's go uh, honestly, I think it's because they they try to run their organization like a major league organization with obvious limitations. Of course, but, but like let's try to do, and that's that does speak to me in some sense. You know, if you want to be great at something, wouldn't you want to watch or mm -hmm. kind of act like or model yourself after the the people or groups or teams or whatever that are great at what they do? Wouldn't you want to model after that? I think that's just kind of the the baseline for them you know they, mm -hmm. they i walked in and it felt big it felt professional like the ballpark's great the the way that they run there, the people stay there for years you know i i had dinner with um you know mark rusinov who's the pr man and has been there forever you know he's been there for two decades and people stay there because it's a good place to work and it's professionally run and people enjoy it there and i think that's that that trickles down to a lot of different elements and it also trickles down to how people feel when they work there so and that's not something tangible. You can't really equate that to anything. There's no metric or budget line item that's going to help you improve that. It's got to be something that's cultural and, and there's an attitude and a demeanor to it. And, and that's what, you know, being around head, head coaches, college, NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball managers, I hear that word so much, culture, and everybody defines it differently. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's 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 not definable. It's uh, you know it's it's one of those things. It's like you don't know how to define it, but you can kind of recognize it mm -hmm. when you see it or feel it. And that comes through time. That comes through process. And I also just feel like it's not it's not something that everybody embraces. And that's another like kind of buzz phrase that I've really latched onto is the the process thing. Like really focusing on process rather than result. Uh, you know, journey rather than destination. If you want to take like the Buddhist view of it, mm -hmm. it's uh, it's it's process over result because the result will typically be good more often than not when the process is steady and efficient and something that you can really repeat when it's repeatable. So that I think applies to Somerset. I think that applies to great organizations in sports across the spectrum. I think that applies to businesses like major companies all the way down to mom and pop shops like the way people feel about 
how their interactions go on a day-to-day basis when they're in that line of work or in that office or at that ballpark or whatever it may be. If people feel good about it, that's built over time. And I think that that applies to a lot of different places. I think it's um, it's an incredible organization. I've been going to Patriots games for for so long and just kind of seeing how they do it. And as you said, you know, if you you you, you know, it's like the um, the uh, just for the job you want, not the job you have. Kind of yeah, thing, yeah. Right? It's one of those things it. where, like, if you if you act and and make it feel like this is bigger than it is it is bigger than it is, yeah. right? Like that's just kind of how it works. And it's always just incredible uh, to see a legitimate hometown independent baseball league team that I, you know, have had close ties to essentially my entire life yeah. produce as much talent as they have. And then I always love going back to the game selfishly and seeing Andy Chavez play there. It's like, he yeah. has one of the greatest catches in Mets history. Absolutely. I'm literally sitting like 15 feet from this guy right now. Andy, you, you have like, I tears to my eyes <laughs> seeing that catch. Now, obviously the Mets, Mets did, of course, but still, it's just one of those things where it is so cool to kind of see those types of things. Like Josh Tolley a couple years ago is like, he got two one hitters yeah. from R.A. Dickey. I will never forget those moments in my entire life. Now he's, you know, catching backstops in yeah. Somerset, New Jersey. Ha- hanging, out with, hanging out with Bill Pulsifor for, uh, Bill Pulsifor for a summer was pretty cool. Hanging out with Ron Valone and hearing his yep. stories. Uh, the, the late Ryan Friel, I was around him for his final days as a professional baseball player. Uh, and then, and then the guys, you know, like I, I did a Dodger game for ESPN a couple of years ago. We were doing a, a Rich Hill start mm-hmm. and Jessica yeah. Mendoza was my partner. And I had told a story on a production call. Oh, I, I know Rich Hill. Like I, he was, I, rem- I remember him playing for the Long Island Ducks cause Jess mm-hmm. brought it up. She was like, Oh, did you know he played independent ball? I was like, I broadcast in that league. I know that league very well. That's so awesome. if you want to, so I was like, if you want to talk about the Atlantic league in general, let me know. And of course, Jess being the creative that she is and being a ball buster as she also is as a friend of mine, she's like, Hey, we got to get some photos of Rich Hill in the Atlantic League, and then let's see if we can find some of Adam. So naturally, in what happened awesome. to be like an what happened to be like an eleven to two game or something that we happened to be doing that night, uh, Jess was able to get the producer to mm-hmm. pop up a couple of photos from uh, Rich Hill's Atlantic League days and uh, my Atlantic League days. So love it, dude. That's that was uh, that, I, I still think fondly uh, about it. Shout out Jess Mendoza. That is fantastic. And yeah, of course, I mean, if, if there's the opportunity in an 11 to two game, you got a lot of time to fill. So <laughs> yes. we might as well do a little bit of that. Um, as you said, you worked at ESPN. Uh, I think it was almost a decade that you were there. I'm sure that was extremely in- incredible. And, and while I've already kept you for too long already and sincerely again, Adam, do appreciate the highlight of your time. I do want to talk about the new change a little bit before we get going. And then I have one special question for you. That's sure. at the end though. So, you recently get hired by Fox. I remember seeing a lot of stuff about it. You're now obviously calling, you were calling the NLDS game, if I'm not mistaken. That yep. was Dodgers Padres. I had or... a Bra- I had Braves Marlins. Yeah, okay, game. I apologize. So you were, no, you were Braves Marlins, um, which wasn't as great of a series. So I kind of <laughs> wish you had Dodgers Padres. Maybe that's what I'm remembering. But yeah, yeah. You get, you get a little call, less memorable. You get to call MLB playoffs now at Fox. Now, obviously, you're calling NFL games as well, which is incredible. I mean, how cool is it that again you're on like like the biggest broadcast? I mean, how many millions of people watch that Giants game? As terrible as a game as it was, I watched every second of it. But how cool is it to know that like you obviously have not reached your peak? I mean, you're here on the For the Love of Sports podcast, so you're pretty damn close. But so it's so it's downhill from here, is what you're I saying. Mean, I wouldn't quite go that far, but okay. the second time you come on, it's probably <laughs> a little bit closer to downhill. But like how how like just I can't I don't know a good question. Like how freaking cool is that? Yeah, it's pretty freaking cool, honestly. It's um. I like I, I could give you the emotional aspects of it, and there's plenty of them, and I've already kind of shared some with you. Uh, you know, in particular with Joe, mm-hmm. just that you know, kind of us growing up together in this business and, and getting to call. We call a, a playoff series the same day, you know, like and I, and he had done playoff games before, obviously, but like 
it was really cool. Like he and I grew up doing minor league baseball together in the same league, and and we were here. We are. I'm mm-hmm. I'm calling the first game, and he's calling the last game of the day. You know, like that's that's meaningful to us. But outside of that, like just it's the it's a great job. It's the NFL. People care. It's baseball playoffs. It's big games. You know, it's professional sports, and and especially in a time like we've had over the last you know seven months at this point. I, I not to over overblow it or or make it bigger than it is. You know, as we've discussed, it's probably not something you want to do. But like, the, the sports were really important this summer, mm-hmm. and and yeah, you can the, the debate on whether they should have been played or how they're played or how they're protocoled. I very valid discussions. I and should be had and should be thought mm-hmm. through and and should be nuanced conversations. But just in the sense of. At a time where I felt like I needed it personally, where people needed it, you know, just to watch something that may that's that feels a little familiar in a time in a, in a time that's been exceptionally unfamiliar, uh, that's meaningful to us as well. And it's just a cool gig. It's it's cool to watch. Like we go back to why why people love sports. It is fun to be there to document these acts, these impressive physical feats, and the emotional and human. Uh, aspects of it that that are incorporated into what we do on television as as broadcasters to try to humanize the athletes as well uh all those things getting the chance to be the first one on site and to be be the person on site that's that's documenting these things in real time there's a challenge to that and all any of us really want to do as broadcasters is just do stuff that people care about mm-hmm. and that we care about and i grew up watching the nfl watching Major League Baseball, watching the NBA. And those are the three sports that I cared about the most. And now I get to cover them. And that's that's meaningful to me as well. It's just, it's a great gig. And there, it's a great atmosphere to be a part of. You know, the family I have now, my work family, I, I get very close to the people I work with. It's why I have so many friends. The people I worked with at ESPN are going to be my friends for the rest of my life because I made those friends in heated moments you know learning on the fly and grow and growing up over nine years there as a broadcaster and as a person i made friends that i'm gonna have forever and i'm sure that's gonna happen here too because it's 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 a good family feel i think that's what tv that's what broadcasting Mm -hmm. really um it kind of breeds that it kind of breeds this familial atmosphere it's mostly people doing a job that they sincerely sincerely love with other people who love their job. Very yeah. rarely do you r- run into that, especially corporate America. You, you're going to, it's a lot of people that either like their job and hate the people they work with or like the people they work with and hate their job. Yeah. Very rarely do you find the two in the same spot, which I think is important. And, and let's not, I don't, I don't want to be remiss. You're also, are you technically the voice of the Chicago Bulls now? Like what's the terminology we get to use? Cause a Chicago kid now calling Bulls games. That I, I, is again, <laughs> freaking cool. It's, it's really cool. I hesitate to use that term. I okay. just, I, it's, I, at least not now. Like I'm not there yet. We'll give it a minute. You know, like that's for other people to deem, you know, the kind of same way we talked about, like, uh, all I wanted to do was, I just want to do the job. Yeah. I I like the job. I want to do the job and whatever people take out of that, if they take anything at all, if they bother to, which they're certainly not obliged, uh, you know, obligated to, if they take something away from that, I appreciate that. I can appreciate it. Hopefully it's positive. Hopefully it's something that feels connective or that's, you know, that's, that's, you know, again, just something positive. I hope that that's what you take away from it. But if I, I can't put that on myself, you know, that's that's for other people to to bestow on others. 
Well, we're very excited to get to hear you on Bulls games. I assume preseason. I don't know what the heck is, and we don't know when anything's going to happen. It's going to happen yep. at some point. Yep. I'm very excited. Um, but no, sincerely appreciate you being here. And this is my last question. I know I've kept you for way too long. So at this point, you know, you're going to hate me either way. So I'll just ask this last one. So my one of my probably like three favorite podcasts is the Solid Verbal. Yeah, I love every time you are on, and Dan and Ty are incredible. So if you can, just tell them I say hi. I think that's important. Absolutely I've listened well. to them the last like three years. Love what they're doing. I think it's awesome. And now they're with IMG Learfield and they're doing mm-hmm. a lot of stuff. And I was always curious why the hell they didn't build this thing out because they're so amazing. And now finally they are doing that. So that's just from a fan to another. But I got to ask, you were telling me about it and I bit my tongue in the beginning. Where was the best place you ate food coming back to New Jersey this past weekend? Oh, man. Uh, we went to Bunny's, which is uh, a great pizza place that had uh, an outdoor you know, like patio that we could sit out like uh, Thursday night, this past Thursday night, the weather was amazing. Yeah, it was a be- beautiful, beautiful night. So uh, I'll give them a shout out. I want to make sure I get, I, I uh, put it in the right place. So South Orange, mm-hmm. New Jersey uh, is uh, where Bunny's is. So we had a great, great couple pies and uh, the wings are just crispy. Uh, fantastic. We, we had a place called Botello as well as a crew. Uh, we usually try to get one, you know, socially distanced crew dinner in when we can and we try to keep it pretty minimal but it's still nice to be able to go out you know to places if they are open uh so those are those are great spots man i ate at a place called honey grow in hoboken you know good like kind of healthier leaner options mm-hmm. and all that stuff for lunch and and uh yeah man but going to bunnies and and gorging myself on on pizza and wings and then going to cold stone for an ice cream with uh with my old Somerset buddies, it was a pretty good night. I love that. And just just for a little context, the Solid Verbal is a college football podcast. And yeah, Adam yeah, yeah, is, yeah. it feels like you're constantly on there at least once or twice a year. Friend of the and show. I'm happy to be yes. a friend of the show. Yes, very much a friend of the show. And Adam always has the great spots because going around college football, you're going to yeah. all these different cities, you're eating at all these different places. So it was always fun to hear where Adam, uh, I think there was an episode where you actually recorded something completely separate, if I'm not mistaken. We used to, yeah, we used to, do, we used to do voicemails uh, every, yeah. uh, every uh-huh. week or every couple of weeks, just depending on what game I was going to. So, you know, if I was going to, you know, Orlando and going to UCF, you know, we'd, we'd you know, talk about, you know, mm-hmm. burger joint or whatever like that and get, you know, getting shakes or whatever. So I, I mean, I haven't, I hadn't, unfortunately, never got a chance to do a Rutgers game at Rutgers. So, uh, you're not never really, really got a chance. Never Food, really got a chance. To, I was going to say, like, I like, but like, like the ru- games are kind a lot of, of a lot of grease, grease truck action when I was, mm-hmm. when I was in Jersey, you know, a couple late nights with, uh, with my buddy from now from the New York Post, Ryan Dunleavy, who's, uh, who's the Giants beat writer and, and Mike Ashmore who helps cover the Jets now. So, like, uh, you know, some nights eating at the grease trucks with those guys is always fun. Always great. And those Strombolis too from Steve. Yeah. There, there's a lot of good places in New Brunswick. I did enjoy uh, going to college there. It was a blast. But Adam, <laughs> this was incredible. Sincerely appreciate your time. Thank you so much again to Leah for putting us in contact. I appreciate you being open, honest, intimate about your story, what you have done. In case people you know, still can't find you on the internet, where, where could they? If they were to look you up, where could they find you? Uh, Twitter and Instagram, I guess, are the two basic things. So at Adam, I mean it both. Look at that. Nice and easy. Great name. Sounds good. Yeah, Looks there you go. Really the good, rhythm and but... cadence, man. Love it, buddy. But thank you so much to Adam. Thank you, everybody. We really appreciate your time today.